Two weeks ago, I felt compelled to write a letter to the man who led the eldership team before I did. Uh, and in it, I, I felt compelled to, to thank him for the team he left me. He's a man who, who many of you know, and he's a man who's known particularly for uh, the leaders, men and women, who, who he and his wife have invested in and raised up to go. Many of you are in this room, and I applaud you for your courage. There's so much fruit because of that, but I felt uh, compelled to, to thank him for the men and women that he'd invested in to stay. And the way he'd led uh, the year before he handed over to me, he'd led, stood at the helm through stormy, stormy seas and uh, handed the helm to me in relative calm. Um, and I thanked him for that and it caused me to think of, of the team that my wife and I inherited. When people say, do you lead Southlands? I say, well, I lead the team that leads Southlands. And I'm serious about that. And uh, I honestly don't know, six years down the track, if we could have done what we could have done without the incredible nobility, humility, integrity of these men and women. We inherited a, a, a wary but healthy team. And God, by his grace, has added to that team in number, and I think he's added some, some elements as well that have been necessary but, but health is not something that you arrive at. Uh, health is not static. You, you don't go, okay, well, we're healthy. Now let's get on to something else. Uh, health is, is dynamic. It's like a, a body, a, a backyard, a beard. You, you maintain it, right, Donnie? <laughs> you keep it going. And, 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 and health is, is absolutely vital. You, you, you give yourself ongoingly to, to health. It's vital. We know that our churches will never be healthy if our teams are not healthy. And, and, and health is possible because Jesus modeled health with a ragtag team. He, he modeled health. And, and, and we know that he's praying at the Father's right hand for the health of our teams. Uh, John 17, the last prayer he prayed that, that we, we believe he's still praying for us at the Father's right hand is that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. That, that, that we would share as teams of disciple makers in the glory that the Trinity has. That we would be intimate with them. That, that their joy would be full in us. That's a picture of health. It's, it's, it's possible. It's vital. Because Jesus is praying for us. In our tribe, we have a saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. It's an African proverb. Fast, fast. Whichever you prefer. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far, go together. If, if, if God is, is the triune God, God's dream is for a team. And I would add to that as we go to the text. If you want to go far, grow together. Don't just go together. Grow together. In, in, in some ways, preparing for this message made me a little insecure. It's like, well, are we, are we a healthy team? I think we're a healthy team. I hope we are a healthy team. I even asked one of my elders, we are a healthy team, right? <laughs> health is, is dynamic. I think we're a healthy team. But, but one of the things I, I can say with, with integrity is, as a team leader, my wife and I have really tried to see our team 
not just as, as a troop to go somewhere. Uh, we haven't just tried to motiva motivate a troop to go somewhere. Uh, we're full of vision. We love leading with vision, but, but we see our team as a field to cultivate, not just a troop to motivate. Uh, a, a team that goes somewhere also needs to grow. And I, I want to look at Paul's team. This wasn't an eldership team. It's difficult to find a model of a, of a biblical eldership team at work. But we're going to look at, at Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. We're going to make a beeline for the text, as Spurgeon said, and see that while Paul was, was, he, he was masterful at planting and building churches, he also had a deft touch at building teams. And we're going to look at the dynamics of his team and try and learn from that. You good? Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Remember, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's writing to the church in Philippi that he planted. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all. And he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this passage is, is written from a Roman prison, as we, as we said, and, and it follows Paul's amazingly famous unpacking of the incarnation, Philippians 1, 1 to about 11, that, that, that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider godliness something to be grasped, but emptied himself, making himself nothing, taking on the nature of a human, humble servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the, to the right hand, to the highest place, the name above all names, that at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. There is no silver bullet for healthy teams, but if there were one, it would be men and women with humble, human, servant-like qualities like Jesus. That, that's the bottom line. And, 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 and we could, couldn't or shouldn't divorce this beautiful description of Paul's team from Paul's unpacking of the incarnation and saying, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Humble, human, servant leaders are really, really the key to healthy teams. 
But what can we learn from Paul's interaction with the Philippian church and Timothy and Epaphroditus? Because, because Paul, in verse 17, after his unpacking of the incarnation, says, and I too am being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, he, he's saying Jesus didn't grasp, Jesus poured himself out. He emptied himself. He became like a human servant. And I too am being emptied rather than grasping. Here he is, chained to a Roman guard. Have you ever received a letter from anyone in prison for heaven's sake? His letter is so full of joy and gratitude and concern for this church. He is a living example of someone whose attitude is Christ-like, saying, I'm not grasping, I'm not asking. In fact, I'm thanking you for anyone or anything you sent to me, and I'm pouring myself out for you even now. And Paul is, is a remarkably servant-like, Christ-like man. But then he gives two in, in, in case we feel like Paul is out of reach in his godliness, he gives these two very reachable examples of Christ-like humility. And it's Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and, and his interaction with them is, is remarkable. Let's, let's be attentive to it. Let's, let's go scuba diving together a little bit. Let's dig and see how he built team. He built team culture. Paul was about vision. Paul was about the next mountain, uh, the next city, the next church plant. But Paul was a cultivator of, of culture. I heard someone say, vision is amazing, but culture eats vision for breakfast. And I believe that. If, if, if all we are is, is motivating our teams to plant the next church, do the next campaign, take the next mountain. I mean, we're going to have some notches on our belt, but man, we're going to have an exhausted, discouraged team. What are our cultures that we're building? Paul was incredibly attentive, masterful, deft touch to building culture. And I, I just want to look at three cultures. It's not exhaustive, but I think it's true to the text. Firstly, that he built a culture of genuine solidarity. Uh, secondly, that he built a culture of what I would call courageous concern. And then he built a culture of united diversity. Uh, genuine solidarity, first of all. He, he describes his relationship. This is Paul, the older gentleman, the, the, the scholar. He describes his relationship with, with Timothy. Timothy, my son. And then he describes his, his relationship with Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, my brother. There's, there's, there's family terminology here. One's a son and one's a brother. And then he starts to dig into how it's, you know, I think in our kind of religious culture, we call someone brother if we've, we've forgotten their name. Oh, bless you, my brother, my sister. Paul, Paul is not, is Timothy my brother? Timothy, my son, Epaphroditus, my, my brother, family is absolutely vital to Paul. We, we often know Paul as this tenacious, groundbreaking apostle, but here he's a, he's a tender father. He's, he's a tender brother. And he says this, he says, I hope to send Epaphroditus to you, even though he's ministered to my needs. He said he was nearly sick. In fact, he nearly died, but God had Mercy on him and on me, lest I be spared, listen for it, 
sorrow upon sorrow. And then he says this, he says, and I am anxious for you. Can we just pause and say, wasn't this letter about joy and peace? Wasn't this Paul, I'm anxious for you, who said, be anxious for nothing, two chapters later? Wasn't this Paul saying, lest I be spared sorrow upon sorrow, who said, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. What's going on here? What is going on here? Is Paul a hypocrite? Saying, talking, I'm anxious. I'm sorrowful. Never thought of that. I think if you ask Paul, Paul, this letter is about joy in the Lord and peace in the Lord. Why are you saying you're sorrowful or anxious? I think he would say, yes, I am rejoicing in the Lord. I am finding my peace, but I am not a stoic. I am not a human island. My well-being is bound up with the well-being of my team. I am human. Josh, Josh so wonderfully talked about that this morning. That actually if we live in solitude, we are not doing justice to a communal God. I, I, I love the pathos of Paul. Actually, if, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Paul didn't just lead his team, he needed his team. And I, I, I think if I look at our team, and I look at the way Renell and I have tried to lead our teams, is that we really have needed our team. If there is health in our team, it's because I think our team knows we need them. Don't just lead them. We need their companionship. We need their counsel. We need their help in decision making. We need their help in parenting. Paul modeled this absolutely beautifully. I want to ask, particularly to team leaders, do you lead your team or do you need your team? Especially as our teams grow in size and complexity, we lead a large team, and we meet in three different cities, and it might be four soon. And, and, and we have an elder apprentice track, and when we're all together, it's 40. And as, uh, as functional complexity grows, sometimes it can become functionality. Can I plead with you, according to Scripture, don't let it. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, whose attitude we should have, needed his team? We always talk about Jesus in the garden, kind of chastising his, 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 his team for falling asleep while he's praying. Could you not tarry with me even an hour? And we always talk about prayer. What about that Jesus needed his team? I need you now. My team, I'm I'm fearful. I don't want to go to the cross. I need your courage. You ever thought that Jesus modeled a deep need of team? And Paul needed his team. As team leaders, we need to tend to our team's needs. But do they know that we have needs that need tending to? A few of you stopped me this week and, and remarked about a photo I posted of my son this last Friday who's 
who's playing football. He's in his senior year and having a great season. And it was a photo of him standing at the end of their homecoming victory and the team kneeling around him and him leading them in prayer. I want to have it framed. I'm so proud of him. But what you don't know is that about nine months ago, Asher was not in such a healthy place. And we were away with elders and wives and we were planning for the next year. And one of the men on our team was looking after our kids with his wife. And we discovered that my son with his football friends had had an illegal house party. And it wasn't that they got up to terrible stuff, but it was the lying and the deception. And it broke our hearts, it broke our hearts. And at that point, even though we were in the middle of actually talking about the next 50 years as a team, we had to stop and say, guys, pray for us. 100 miles away, my son is actually being rebellious. And we were reliant on a couple in our team to walk them through because we were not there. And I watched them walk my son through. We helped, but actually at that point, he needed someone who was closer in age. And I just go, man, let's not just take the snapshots of Ash is doing amazingly, leading his football team in prayer. Yes, he is. But actually back then we needed a team in crisis. There was a genuine solidarity. How's your solidarity? How's your solidarity? Secondly, there was a courageous concern. These brothers loved one another deeply from the heart. But it wasn't a clicky kind of love. Because as you can see here, Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. I have none other like him. Isn't that generous? I hope to send him to you. I have none other like him. He's willing to send his best. He takes a genuine interest in the welfare of the saints. And Epaphroditus who risked his life to fill up what was lacking in your service to me. In other words, you guys didn't serve me all that well. He did, but I'm sending him to you. There was something about this team that was so intimate, yet so generous. Actually incredibly courageous. Remember, timid Timothy, who Paul often had to speak to and say, you have not received a spirit of fear. But of love and a power, sound mind, both these men were, were quite sickly. Timothy was always getting sick and, and Epaphroditus nearly got sick and died. It's, it's fascinating that, that these men have a courageous concern. They've been courageous to go and serve Paul. It was dangerous in those days to go and serve someone in prison. And now they're dangerously going back. And yet they are not naturally courageous. You can teach your team courage. He says, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul is so self-sacrificial. I am anxious because you're not doing well. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm sending my best, my two best. Just, just look at Epaphroditus for a moment. It says, he has been longing for you. And listen here. And he was distressed because you heard he was ill. Are you kidding me? I mean, women, you know your men when they get man flu. <laughs> Even the little sniffles. Are they 
concerned for anyone other than themselves. I am dying right here. Come on, ladies, give it to me. This man was nearly dead and he was concerned that they heard he was ill. Absolutely remarkable. Both these men. I mean, why do you think Paul said, I have none other like Timothy? I mean, what, what about poor Luke and, and Silas who were traveling when they read that? Really? Seriously? What's, what's wrong with me? Why? Why? None other. I would suggest this. Timothy was the only one that literally was circumcised for the welfare of the saints. A Gentile who as a man, commentators say around 40 years old, was circumcised so that the gospel could get to strengthen a church. None other like him. None other like him. Both of these men and Paul had a very high pain threshold for the welfare of the saints, literally <laughs> and spiritually. It, it is amazing to build a team with highly qualified, highly skilled men and women. But if you want a healthy team, build a team that has a high pain threshold for the welfare of the saints. I, I tell you, seminaries, and I believe in them, I'm part of them, but they are setting us up for unhealth because they are setting us up for specialist dreams of ministry that are more about fulfilling our welfare than the church's welfare. And we're looking for our perfect little niche because we've studied all these plethora of subjects and where's the church that can, that can fulfill my needs and I can fit into that niche and it's just not Bible. I believe in specialists. I believe in highly skilled, highly trained people, but any day I will take a Timothy or Paphroditus who has, has a genuine, genuine interest in the welfare of the saints and are actually willing to do whatever it takes. Can you imagine Epaphroditus one day in the presence of God? I mean, this guy, he had a ministry. He was a messenger. Actually, that word messenger is apostolos. He has had a growing apostolic ministry. He's just in, the, in worship one day, I imagine. And he's just saying, oh, Lord, I love you so much. Just, just use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. And, he's, and he senses the Lord say, yeah, I've got an assignment for you, Epaphroditus. It's prison ministry. Yes, Lord. I can see that I'm going to plant prison ministries all over the Roman world and we're going to sell DVDs and start a tour, book tour. It's going to be amazing. And no, actually, your prison ministry will just be to one man. One man. Okay, Lord, can, can I preach? In the no, actually, you're just going to support him as he writes a couple of seemingly inconsequential letters. But I'm going to use those letters fairly powerfully, Epaphroditus. It's amazing that Paul said Epaphroditus was a brother, a worker, a soldier, and a messenger. See, when we have courageous concern, we're actually willing to be all-rounders, even though we recognize specialist gifts. We say, what is the need, not what is my niche, and how can I attend to it? Epaphroditus risked his life to complete what was lacking in the church's service to Paul. What are our teams willing to risk? See, transition 
when we are called because of the need to let go of what has become our, our niche. It's very, you've got to be skillful as a leader. You've got to be pastoral. It's very insecure. You can't just keep on moving everyone around. But, but a team with genuine solidarity loves and trusts one another enough to be shifted around because of courageous concern and to go to places that are not my ideal because there's a need there. My very first year on a staff, and I came on as kind of the, the worship leader, preacher, prophetic, creative guy. Ronell and I had a, a life group full of like creatives and like about five hairdressers. It was amazing. I just got my, my hair done when I had like more hair. I just got it done in different colors every week. It was awesome. And I just thought I was going to come on and write songs, preach the odd sermon, work with the creatives. It was going to be awesome. And Terry Fashay, my, my team leader, I've, I've actually spent as much time on someone else's team as I have leading a team. And now although I lead a team, I'm on someone else's team and it's good for me. It's good. Never graduate beyond team. Never live in splendid isolation. It's not the way of the Trinity. And he said to me, Alan, what we really need is for someone to do a early morning prayer breakfast for businessmen with children. I said, Terry, you know me. One, I've never had a business. Two, I don't have children. I didn't at that stage. Three, I really don't like early mornings. And four, I don't actually like breakfast in the mornings either. He said, that's the need. That is the need. Will you fill the need? And so for two years, I met with these men. And I want to tell you, I, two things happened. One, I learned to pastor people beyond my natural sphere. I, I, I learned a lot about the pressures of business and the pressures of parenting. And I think those men were helped. But 20 years, almost to the day, down the track, in some ways I'm more comfortable. I still have prayer breakfasts with men, businessmen, with children, with, who have children to this day. I found I loved it. I found I had a ministry muscle I never knew I had. Courageous concern. What are we willing to risk? What's our pain threshold for the church? Think of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4, where they're building the wall. And each man was stationed at his part in the wall, Nehemiah 4. We need team members, men and women, who really know their part in the wall, their place in the wall, how to lay their bricks at that part in the wall really well. But Nehemiah says, if the wall gets breached and the trumpet sounds, rally to your brothers, fight for your brothers. That's what we need. We need rallying specialists. We need people who know their, the place on the wall like the back of their hand, but with an ear for the trumpet and they're able to rally and say, we'll fight for you because if the enemy breaches that part of the wall and my wall's going up, we all lose. And to be an elder and to be an elder's wife is to not be so passionate about your part on the wall that you forget about the breaches in other parts of the wall. Finally, united diversity. United diversity. Courageous concern and united diversity. Paul, as he opens Philippians 2 verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united in His love, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being one in spirit and in purpose. 
Remember, this was Paul, the, the Jewish scholar. This was Timothy, the timid Gentile son. This was Epaphroditus, the soldierly brother, also a Gentile. They had nothing humanly in common. And, and, and what Paul appeals to in his team and in the church is a deeper unity. It's a unity coming from being united with Christ. Our, uni our unity ultimately has to be in the gospel, in what we believe about Christ and in his church. If, if your team's unity depends on uniformity, they are unhealthy. If you need people just like you, be unhealthy. It'll be a ceiling on the health of your teams. If I think of our team, we've got no business being united. We are diverse generationally. We are diverse culturally. And actually nationally, we are diverse. Seriously, some of us are Democrat and some of us are Republican. <laughs> and some of us just do not know what we are. We have different theological leanings and backgrounds, even though we agree on some big stuff. We live in different cities. We, we, we support different sports teams. We're from different colleges. We are men and women because our wives play a meaningful role as helpers with us. I've got no business being a team. But that is what we are by God's grace. That is what we are by God's grace. A couple of practical handles as we, as we land on unity in diversity. Firstly, men, lead your teams. If you have to be a father to everyone, it will be a ceiling on health. Paul says, Timothy, you're my son, Epaphroditus, my brother. An overdeveloped understanding of the leader is father will result in unhealth. One of God's graces and sometimes burdens to me, but mostly grace, is that about half of the team I lead is my age exactly. They are brothers. And you lead brothers differently to the way you lead sons. You just do. It's great to have some sons on your team. I've actually got a man on my team who could be a father. But brothers kind of push back a little. Brothers tease you. <laughs> Leaders, are you teasable? We were, we were gathered together, one, one church, three communities, two weeks ago. And it was a great time. We baptized people and we were celebrating. And there was one guy who came up for prayer from, a, from one of the other communities. I didn't know him. And we were celebrating. But, but what happened was I was praying for him. I didn't know. He was a big guy, tatted, long hair. And I was praying for him. And, and he was just bearing his soul. I was praying. And I had a mint in my mouth. I didn't breathe all this stuff over him. And as I prayed for him, I was like, my mint is gone. And I looked down and it was on his shoulder. And I was just like, what do I do now? He had his eyes closed. He's Nick's guy. I don't want Nick to freak out, etc. And I was just like, what do I do? Do I flick it off? What do I do? And, and I just decided to pop it back in my mouth and carry on praying. <laughs> the guys just teased me and ribbed me. And I just actually think one of the ways we've built unity is by honoring one another, by celebrating milestones, but by being teasable, guys. 
We want to be a team that takes the job so seriously, but does not take ourselves so seriously. Be teasable. Decision-making unity. Got five minutes. Decision-making unity. One of the things about leading with brothers that has been so helpful is to, lead, to learn to lead collaboratively. As we, we call plurality by consensus with the first among equals. If the first among equals always has to be the smartest guy in the room, it's not plurality. And so early on, I learned that my team did better around decision making when I actually flagged how invested or sure I was about that. And I actually developed some icons. We can get them up here. It's a blog. You can go, to the, go there. I don't have all that much time. But basically, I would begin a conversation around a decision saying, I'm going to flag this with icons. The first icon was the light bulb. In other words, this is just an idea, guy. I have about five ideas a day. I'm not usually invested in this. You can shoot it down in flames. Sometimes they were so bad that they became known as piñata ideas. Because <laughs> the one day when we had this debt, free party. I just wanted to uh, get all the kids to just rush against this piñata and smack it open. And they just said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Light bulb is actually, it's just an idea. Have at it. But then I'll come with an icon of a, of a heart, which is in the region of intuitively, I feel this. I'm not saying it's the Lord. But I feel this. I, I feel this about this person. I'm sensing this about this ministry or the situation. Then people are saying, this is not just an idea. He spent some time. He is a feeler kind of guy, but he's not 100% correct. He's probably about correct in his feelings about 60% of the time. So, so let's just walk a little bit more carefully. It's not necessarily the Lord, but in heart rate monitor, it's just like, okay, this is in the realm of feeling. The third icon is in the area, it's a, it's a bullhorn. The key as leaders is not to pull the bullhorn too quickly, too often. I think I probably pull the bullhorn only about, help me guys, how often? Sorry? Three times a year. Well, I come and I say, I've been praying. I've been talking to others. I've been reading scripture. I feel like the Lord is speaking. Doesn't mean that you can't talk into that. I'm not saying that I'm 100% correct. We all see through a glass darkly, but take off your shoes. You're walking on holy ground here. For my men, they just know, okay, this is not a light bulb moment. This is a bullhorn moment. We can still speak. We still need to come to an agreement. We still need to reach a sense of the seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. It's not exact science, but I'm flagging it as this is a different moment. Decision-making, unity, has been really helpful. And then finally, the very first thing we did in October 2010, as a team at the handover, was we wrote up a biblical unity charter. Again, a link for you as a resource, use it or not. And before Christ, we, we just said, what is it to maintain the unity of the spirit that we've been given. What is it to treasure this gift? How, how can we be active as husbands and wives, maintaining unity that we've been given for the sake of Christ, the sake of the church? And we revisit that quite regularly. 
I'll bring out three truths from it, and then we'll pray. The first is that in terms of conflict resolution within the team, the onus is always on me. Not as the team leader, anyone in the team, the onus is on me. Matthew 5, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has aught against you, go. The onus is on you. Even if someone has got something against you. Matthew 18, if your brother offends you, now the shoe's on the other foot, the onus is still on you. One of our values in our unity charter is the onus is on me. Whether I'm offended or whether I have offended, the onus is on me. You don't wait for someone to come to you. You don't harbor that root of bitterness that can defile many. The onus is on me. Secondly, it is a person's glory to overlook an offense. That's the other side. That's the truth intention. That actually sometimes we just need to learn to bear with one another in love because Christ bore with us. And part of being a mature, healthy team is that you don't have to break bread for every minor offense. You just take it to the cross, take it to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, you bore with me. I, will be. I think my team have to bear. I'm a pretty eccentric guy. And I think, yes, he says. <laughs> and I think they will confront if there's sin, but there is, there is an overlooking of things that are, that are preference, character, bear with one another. When you repent, you don't have to get into who's more right or who's more wrong. If our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, we're ultimately repenting because I have not fully been like Christ to you. If we, if we take that, we start to look more at ourselves and less at them, and there's always something to say sorry for. It's a great way of being peacemakers. And then finally, we don't make peace through social media, text or email. At, at the worst, you pick up the phone. At the best, you take your car across and speak. Unity is vital. It's possible. Health is vital and it's possible. Why? Because Jesus modeled it. Because Jesus is the true and better Epaphroditus. He didn't nearly die for our welfare. He did die. He's the true and better Timothy. He wasn't circumcised. He was crucified for our health. And he is praying for you and your teams right now for their unity and their health because of the health of their church, your church. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word, of helping your saints. We, we come to you, each one of us, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. We thank you for the incredible joy of being in team. But we know, Lord, walking so closely with brothers and sisters who carry people so deeply in their hearts can also be painful. And, and I pray today that by your spirit, as we apply the cross, as we apply your word, that your grace would flow into teams, bring health, bring life, bring joy, bring truth. Lord, we want our churches to feel the trickle-down effect of our health as brothers and sisters. We want to model what it is to be family. 
So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.